This is the Otaku Nate Show, Episode 5, Tiger and Bunny, Heroes Are Us. What is up, anime fans? Otaku Nate here with another installment of the Otaku Nate Show, the anime podcast where we talk about anime that we want to talk about. Joining me this week is Justin Young. Hey. William, aka Lord Crab. Sup. And our newest challenger. This is Tim, a.k.a. the Otaku Doc here. And this week, we are going to be talking about Tiger and Bunny, a show that I remember when it came out had a lot of hype behind it, and everybody said it was going to be the next big crossover hit here in America. And nine years later, it barely left a dent, and we're going to find out why. But first, a little background. Uh, This was released in 2011 by Studio Sunrise, and it was directed by Keiichi Sato. He's mostly known for doing action shows or stuff with CGI in them. He directed the movie Asura. He also directed the Karis OAVs. He directed Rage of Bahamut Genesis. And he most recently directed Garo the Animation. He's also known as a character designer, but I forgot to put down his character design credits. He's not character designer for this show, though. We'll get to him in a moment. Uh, The writer for this is Masafumi Nishida. Outside of one other credit, he's pretty much been the writer for all of Tiger and Bunny. So, with all of that out of the way, who wants to give the premise of Tiger and Bunny? So, for Tiger and Bunny, we have a sort of an alternate U.S. sort of of world. It's an American-inspired city, but it's not strictly in the United States. They don't clarify what country or continent it's on. Yeah, I'd call it America with the serial numbers welded off. And in this world, superheroes are not only a thing, but they're sponsored professionals who appear on TV doing their jobs, sort of like NASCAR drivers. And superheroes and their powers are referred to as NEXT. I'm not exactly sure what the what that acronym stands for, but it's basically sort of like mutants like you'd find in X-Men and general Marvel fiction. And the story is about a older, but he's not really, he doesn't look that old, hero named Kotetsu Kabaragi, a.k.a. Wild Tiger. I believe he's like 28. He's my age. Are you sure? Cause... He looks 28. If I remember right, according to his bio, he should be in, like, his early to mid-40s. I'll have to double-check that. Yes, same. Either way, he he looks 28, which I'm sure we're going to get to later in the show. Mm -hmm. And he's partnered up with a, he called him a hotshot new guy, and that's what I'm going to use here, named Barnaby Brooks Jr., with whom Kotetsu ends up nicknaming Bunny by the end of the first episode. Hence, Tiger and Bunny. And... Barnaby has sort of a uh, <laughs> check, definitely an interesting backstory, which, and basically, it's sort of a, it has an overarching plot, but it's sort of a villain of the day format that details the duo's interactions with other heroes and 
people running the things behind the scenes and society at large. And a lot of CGI in there. A lot it certainly of, has that. Certainly has that feel of kind of a villain of the day. But as the series progresses, you get a much more you know overarching story. So my question to all of you: Where did you first hear of Tiger and Bunny, and what were your initial impressions? Who wants to go first? Um, I'll I'll get mine out of the way because it's pretty basic. If I remember right, it was like back when it was airing back in 2011. I believe Crunchyroll was promoting the hell out of it. I mean, because I remember back then, like, it was like hyped as shit, or it was attempted to be hyped as shit. And I watched the first episode, because I always watch the first episode of any anime, just to give it a try. And... I've lost interest in it. I mean, it, it's not that it was bad or anything. I just like, okay, I've seen it. Moving on with my life. Uh, about two years later, the dub comes out. I watched it again in dub. And same thing as last time. I watched it, moved on with my life. And I didn't get into watching the show again until just a few days ago. So that's it. Tim, how did you encounter uh, Tiger and Bunny? As I first encountered it, was, you know, again, the very head promotion for it when it was coming out in Japan. Uh, just a lot of people talking about it. I heard a lot of people talking about it, like, say, on ANN cast uh, when I uh, used to listen to that on a weekly basis. But I never uh, watched I never watched it because at the time Toonami was uh, ramping back up on Cartoon Network. And I thought for sure that, you know, OK, it's only a matter of time before this its way on over to Cartoon Network. So I'm just going to you know put it on the back burner. And, well, we'll get to that little discussion later on. But yeah, I didn't put it on the back burner. I put it on the back burner until uh, you brought it up um, to discuss, and I uh, watched it for the first time over the, last, uh, over the course of the last week or so. Here's my my story with Tiger and Bunny is a rather interesting one. I didn't hear about it from its um, original hype train. I wasn't yet in the fandom back in 2011, um, but I found out I found out about it through the uh, anime club at the local community college. Hmm. Yeah, we watched the first couple episodes of it, sub the end of at different times, and this is where it gets interesting, because then I started hearing a lot of people talking about it on the con scene out here, and I was it was being hyped. I was, oh, this this big this big show, and, it, and look at the character designs. They're so cool and stuff like that there. And then... Um, it sort of gets relegated to the culpin status when I started to actually start uh, watching it, trying to get into it. And then it showed up um, last year in a different anime club that I happened to be at at the time. And I was like, hey, I first saw this show years ago, five years ago, I think, back in, uh, was it 2012 or 2013? 12 or 13, right after the dub came out. Alrighty, and uh, your impressions? Like, what were your impressions initially? Oh, I have a lot to say about it. It's actually... I think this show should not be seen as just a cult anime. I think it's... I think it really got overlooked. It's sort of the lost uh, band or lost song of the, two, of the 2000s because this show could have been so big. It's very well written. The animation is actually really good and i like the characters me and nate had a similar conversation like this recently about how this show didn't do as well as 
we think it should have. We basically mm-hmm. both have our own theories, like... That's a talking point for later in the show. So yeah, okay. while we wait for Tim to uh, untangle his computer, I think I should talk about my encounter with Tiger and Bunny and my initial impressions. I can't remember if I saw this at the Sacred Heart University Anime Club, which used the democratic model of screening anime, which, pro tip, never ever use a vote to determine what anime your club is going to watch. Mm-hmm. It never works. Amen to it's that. Let me, guess. All, Let me guess. They voted for the most popular show. It was always Studio Ghibli. Always. Uh-huh. Always. Yeah, figures. <sighs> the bad memories there. Anyway, like the two of you, I saw this show being heavily, heavily, heavily promoted on places like Crunchyroll, like Anime News Network, and most specifically, Hulu. Like, when Hulu was just starting up, back when it was only a subscription service and a lot cheaper than it is now, like, Tiger and Bunny was sort of its flagship anime. I mean, you could watch Naruto and other popular things on there, but this was hyped as being the big Hulu original series that was gonna show why anime is the thing to watch on this platform. And so, I started watching it. I got, I think I got, like, four episodes in. I did like what I saw, but then I got distracted by other things, like, Sorcerer Hunters, and Just Cause 2, and then I just put off watching it, and I never got around to watching it, and by the time I started it, the hype was well over with. It had died down, pretty much. I finally got around to watching it two or three years ago, and I can say I did enjoy it, but I also sort of understood why the hype for it died out. And even at conventions, as heavily as it was promoted, I didn't see that much in the way of cosplay. Maybe I'm blanking because I didn't take too many pictures of the costumes at conventions. Maybe there was more than what I saw, but I didn't see all that much in the way of fan support for the show. Four reasons we'll probably get into when we discuss why the show didn't do so well here in America. But... But that is a subject for later. I think we should sort of break the show down as to how we feel about it. And I'm just going to start off by saying this show looks gorgeous. It does. It, it is. so does. It is. Oh my fair. God. It is so pleasing to look it at. I've said that the 2000s are my least favorite decade for anime from an animation standpoint because in the early 2000s, you've got that really choppy early digital anime style yeah like go back and try watching an anime from the early 2000s and then compare it to what we have now there are shows from the 90s 80s and even the 70s that look a lot more pleasing than the early 2000s digital animation yeah i've been i've talked i've talked about that before like i strongly believe that certain anime from those decades you mentioned look a hell of a lot better than anime made back in the early 2000s. But by the end of the 2000s, they'd finally got things right. And I feel Tiger and Bunny is sort of an indicator as to how how far digital animation has come with yep. anime. Indeed. That's the impression I got from it. And despite being, what, about to be 10 years old? Starting 10 years old next year, I think? Yep. 10 years old almost. 10 years old and it doesn't show a bit. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, a lot of stuff from the 2010s, it's sort of, I, I'm not meaning this in a bad way, it really starts blurring together where you can't tell what year 
a show from the 2010s came out in, and I feel Tiger and Bunny is an example of that, but not in a bad way. I especially love the city, the overall architecture and design of Sternbuild. As Justin mentioned earlier, it's very much an American city with the serial numbers filed off. In particular, they take heavy cues from New York City right down to the Atlas statue outside of Rockefeller Center. That's a cool detail by NYC. Yeah, yeah, that and all the uh, major uh, major video monitors pretty much everywhere all over the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is clearly not New York. Tim's back, by the way. <laughs> My favorite detail is that the city has levels, like stories. It's actually something I wish a lot of cities I was had. A little, I was a little disappointed that they didn't do more with that, uh, honestly. That felt like used to maybe sort of show the uh, class hierarchy of Stern build. But, you know, I guess, again, when you only have uh, 25 episodes, I should say, you got you to gotta pick and choose where you can tell your stories. Yeah, that's a personal gripe I do have with Tiger and Bunny is that the show's world building is a little bit... Naff. Pardon? Naff. Yeah, like, it seems like it's it's obviously there, but they don't expand on it enough. And it just, you want to learn a lot more about the world that Tiger and Bunny is set in, but for whatever reason, they just don't expand on it enough. This is something we'll touch on when we talk about the story. Sternbuild is a very beautiful looking city, but I wouldn't want to live there because I don't like city living. I'm a country boy, man. I can don't fence me in, as the old folk song goes. Of course, another major attraction to the show are the character designs, and they got a fairly famous illustrator to do the character designs for this show, and that is Masakazu Katsura. Have any of you heard of this guy? I am actually very familiar with Katsura. For those who don't know, Masakazu Katsura is more of a mangaka. Uh, he's known for stuff like DNA Square, Eyes. What else has he done? He did Zetman. Video Girl yeah, Eye. Yeah, I recognize his name from. Yeah, a lot of, like old school rom-coms you know, and some action. And he's got a really nice looking uh, design for his characters. They look really nice. That's all I have to say. They look good. If you recognize his work from anything recently, he was the illustrator for Astral Chain. He did the character designs for oh, and here's another. Oh, and here's another show I just glossed over. If any of you remember this one, he also did the original character designs for Double Decker from 2018. Oh, that's why, that's why oh, I we'll, recognize the style of the we'll show We'll get from. to that. He was also the uh, character designer for uh, Iria Zayram, the animation. Oh, that's another one I can't believe I glossed over. And uh, naturally, the character designs for this, well, let's just say they're all stylish. Uh -huh. very, very stylish, very pretty. I personally really like the designs. Like, it, like, if you were to just look at Kotetsu's design all around, you'd get this impression that, you know, Kotetsu even without knowing his personality or who he is, is a very stylish individual. Like, with that sort of shepherd's hat, that little vest he wears, his pine green outfit, and the uh, kitty beard that he's got. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's called a tiger beard by, um... I heard it called a tiger beard before. Which I I've also heard the kitty beard, because it looks like the silhouette of the head of a cat. True. Katsura also did all the hero designs as well for this. Do you guys have a favorite character design for the show, both civilian and hero? Ooh, ooh, there's like, I can't, I ran into a three-way tie that I can't really untangle. It's a three-way tie between Kotetsu, Blue Rose, and uh, Barnaby. Yeah, really? Blue Rose, I think, is the most visually striking of uh, all, of, uh, all uh, just because I think of just how different it is from her civilian form. Pretty much all the other characters, you pretty much could see their forms are essentially 
extensions of themselves. Blue Rose is the only one that's really kind of uh, the kind of a uh, almost Outlier? like counter to uh, uh, what to uh, Karina's uh, actual personality. It's a case of you know if you took one look at Blue Rose, you'd never guess that she and Karina Lyle are the same person. Mostly because she got blue hair, and as Strong Bad says, you gotta have the blue hair. <laughs> My favorite uh, character design, of course, as I said, I'm a huge mark for Kotetsu's design, simply because I want that outfit. <laughs> I'm attracted to the color green, man. More specifically, the darker shades of green, and it's just the right amount of balance for that. For my favorite hero design, I'm actually going to go with Sky High because I like the aesthetic. Ooh, okay. The, the shoulder yokes with the tassels combined with that retro-futuristic helmet. It's hard to describe what that helmet looks like. It looks like, like a train, that's what. It, it looks like a 50s locomotive. It does. Might be, but, it might be the most plain looking, but it's also, you know, I guess what helps it stand out, of course, is he's got those distinctive colors, that streak of purple on his uh, hero uniform. That uh, helps him. That helps it stand out. Maybe make it a little less plain than it uh, was. Again, just the right balance for Sky High. Of course, the thing about the hero outfits is that they all have corporate sponsors on them. And do you want to know why that is? I have a, a strong idea and a theory. I'd like to see proven right. And that is Sunrise charged the, and put out an open call for sponsorship at one point, and this is what they got. No, actually. The reason why they wanted corporate sponsors for the show, they wanted it to appeal to a Western audience. That's an interesting <laughs> way to go about it. Good luck to them. So, you've got sponsors like Amazon, Bandai, Pepsi on these. It's sort of like the, oh, who's the main guy from Mystery Men? It's been ages since I've watched Mystery Men. Oh, I have no idea. I forgot. I have no idea either. Yeah, the uh, superhero yeah. that turns out to be the bad guy from Mystery Men is sort of what it's like. In fact, this show kind of has that, that sort of Mystery Men energy to it. Big mystery energy, one could say. One other thing to talk about with the heroes and the animation for the show is that the heroes, of course, are in CGI. Except for Blue Rose and Dragon Kid, they don't get the CGI treatment. Sexist. You do it. Well, that and, their, that and their outfits are far simpler. I mean, look at Sky High. Part of the reason you didn't get my favorite hero design was it sometimes felt like they were struggling to um, almost animate him properly because of the CGI, and it sort of ended up clashing a bit, just a little bit, with the general aesthetic of the show. But he's also not guilty of this. Rock Bison ended up being sort of a casualty of this as well because his, his design's all big and clunky and chunky. I'd say the worst offender is Fire Emblem because his outfit has a face to Indeed. it. And they had to animate his mouth movement. It still holds up a lot better than any CGI anime made by Polygon Pictures. True. Yeah, or... Not exactly a uh, high hurdle to cross. Or, or if you don't <laughs> want to go for the more obvious route, the fucking Berserk CG anime... Oh, no. We don't talk about that. Oh, no. One other thing I feel that helps Tiger and Bunny stand out is I think the soundtrack was pretty good. If I were to compare the soundtrack to this to something else, it reminds me of the soundtrack to Godanner. It has that sort of 70s super robot or tokusatsu hero influence to it. Very heavy on brass, very dramatic, like there's a big action scene happening. Did any of you notice the did soundtrack? I was going to say, did you say Super Robot vibe to it? Well, it's not a mecha show. Well, funny you I should mention not... that. I can feel the, I can feel a strong mecha influence throughout the whole show. 
Well, it's not mecha. It it it's mostly power. But then again, there is a distinction. But then again, though, this was by Sunrise after all. Yeah, exactly. Of so course they got right. they got to reference their past a little bit somehow, which um, yeah. it sort of added to the charm of the whole thing. The soundtrack was very charming, and actually kind of catchy and hooky, with the exception of the ending. The ending I didn't care for. But the a lot of the incidental music was actually pretty on point. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you talk about you know Keiji Sato, and I think you might appreciate this. The whole kind of uh, aesthetic it almost makes is almost like say Paradigm City from The Big O, just not you know with all the uh, existential dread that that surrounds it. That's a good point, Tim. Yeah, the soundtrack is pretty good um another thing that's also really good is the uh voice acting on both sides of the coin and this is where coin on the japanese side kotetsu is voiced by hiroaki hirata he's got a lot of roles to his name he is the japanese dub voice for jack sparrow from pilots of the caribbean but he's most famous as being sanji from one piece Uh which you know what uh considering uh, an appropriate choice i would guess (laughs) Yeah, like for the most recent um, arc in One Piece, in a way it's kind of fitting for him, uh, for Hiroaki. Barnaby is voiced by Masakazu Morita, who is the voice of Ichigo Kurosaki from Bleach. Hmm, didn't know that. Yep. He's also the voice of Titus from Final Fantasy X. (laughs) Yes, yes, he is is the guy who made uh, Titus's laugh somehow worse than the English one. I was going to say, insert Titus laugh here. Some other notable voice actors from the Japanese side. Minako Kotobuki, who is an idol singer from the group Sphere. Her most well-known role would probably be Mitsuko from the Index series. And also Mugi from K-On. Dragon Kid is voiced by Maria Issei, who I just saw in Kakegurui as... Oh, God, she was Midori! <laughs> oh, yeah. no. Yeah. Jesus fucking wept. What happened? <laughs> oh. Oh, no. Origami Cyclone is voiced by Nobuhiko Okamoto, who, speaking of the Index series, he's Accelerator in that, and Rin Okamura from Blue Exorcist. Or is he most commonly known as uh, Bakugo from My Hero? Oh, thank you for that one, William. You're a, you're a lifesaver yeah. for this. And another one I want to mention for you, because I just find this hilariously ironic for me, uh, Fire Emblem in Japanese is voiced by Kenjiro Suda, a.k.a. Seto Kaiba. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 man, cookies, no, no, really? <laughs> No, no, even better. Kenjiro is also Overhaul from My Hero Academia. Oh! I, oh, man. I just noticed this about Kenjiro recently. He is really good at bouncing back between really darker and serious roles like Overhaul. And then you got Fire Emblem, who's like one of the most stereotypically homosexual characters in anime ever. Oh, uh, we'll talk about yeah. that. A lot of talent on the Japanese side. Of course, the one that sticks out is a guy who passed away recently. The villain of the first half, Jake Martinez, is voiced by the late Keiji Fujiwara. Oh. Tragic man, knowing that he was the voice of uh, Maze Hughes from Fullmetal Alchemist. Yeah. Oh, he was also Elidor in the 8th MS team. 
Most importantly to me, he was uh, Kimura from Hajime no Ippo. But that's for it for the Japanese side. For the dub, when they dubbed this, they brought out the big guns. They really Biggest did. guns, according to my research. Actually. Oh, they yeah. definitely brought it out. Because <laughs> a lot of the names you don't normally see too often in anime dubs, at least not nowadays. Kotetsu is voiced by Wally Wingert. He was the dub voice for Renji in Bleach, but... I like the approach that uh, Wally took with uh, Kotetsu, because he doesn't try to sound like Hiroaki Hirata's scruffy voice in the original. He sounds more like a guy in his late 30s, early 40s who realizes his best days are behind him. He doesn't sound a you, thing you, like his best-known current role, John Arbuckle. You, def you definitely get that feeling uh, from him with how he plays Startup Season 2. And you get to the one of the big uh, subplots of that season. I think that's really one of the areas where Wenger does some of his best work. You've also got a lot of other notable names in here. Uh, Barnaby Brooks Jr. is voiced by Yuri Lowenthal. Sasuke himself. Also current Spider-Man. One of them anyway. You've got Patrick Seitz as Sky High. Kari Walgren as Blue Rose. Laura Bailey as Dragon Kid. Another guy who doesn't normally do uh, anime voice work, John Eric Bentley as Fire Emblem, one of the standouts about, in this dub. I have a lot to say about his performance. Travis Willingham as Rock Bison. A few other names in this dub. You got Steve Bloom, Tara Platt, Stephanie Shea. Of course, you've got my personal favorite voice actor in this, Jameson Price as Albert Maverick. But my standout in this, in the cast, because... You normally don't see this guy doing anime, at least not anymore. Darren Norris. Uh -huh. Yep. The dude who basically made the Fairly Odd Parents on the voice side, that is. He's the voice of Cosmo, and he also voices Timmy Turner's dad, among others in that show. He was also George, uh, wow. George Strangle. Because Darren Norris has done anime. Yeah, he was in uh, the Cowboy Bebop movie as, what's his, what was his name again? Vincent. Yeah, Vincent, that's it. He is voiced under a dozen different pseudonyms. Yep. I immediately recognized him because he was the voice of one of the bad guys in Gundam, the 8th MS team. And um, definitely you can definitely tell this is a dub made from quite a while ago because of the appearance of two notable people. Liam O'Brien, another future member of Critical Role. And just so we can get this out of the way, final villain is played by... <laughs> Captain Unperson himself. Vic McNagnog. Yep, Vic McNagnog. You mean what? Thank you. Mean you. One, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he voices one of the most disposable villains ever. Thank you, Rara Granger, for giving me that nickname. Anytime we bring up he who must not be named, I shall always call him Vic McNagnog. I love that, by the way. Like, that's probably, okay, you know, you know what, that's probably the, the best way to refer to him now. You know what? That's the only thing I can remember about that one character he voices at the end is that Vic voices him. He hates next for some reason. And that's it. I remember him because yep. I love seeing him die. <laughs> His dead scene was just wonderful. It was. But yeah, the dub, really good acting wise. I actually put the subtitles on because I own the Blu-rays and they'll allow you to watch the dub with the subtitles on. In the dub, they really punched up the dialogue between Kotetsu and Barnaby, sort of showcasing that these two really don't get along, at least in the first half. I actually ended up sticking with the dub for the most part, because I preferred it over the Japanese. Yeah, same here. I didn't, having seen it in Japanese before, I honestly felt like this is definitely a show that was made for an English dub. 
even before Reflection. This is definitely a show that was made for an English dub since all the signs are in English. Yeah, characters with English names for the most part. Yeah, it's a, and it's a very Western looking anime. Yeah, and there are a lot of, there are a couple of characters who I didn't really like in Japanese, but I ended up really liking in English, namely uh, Ben Jackson. Oh, well, you can't go wrong with Bo Billingsley. As I like to say, he's one of those voice actors who's never not good. That's true. He's one of the, he's definitely one of the VAs that I Very I true, very to. true. Mm -hmm. I just wish. Excellent oh, casting, and, um, great performance. Actually, I like, and I really loved Fire Emblem's English voice a lot more than his Japanese voice. Well, again, we'll get to Fire Emblem in a bit. One other thing I want to note where the dub sort of falls short, and it's not their fault, the next episode previews. <laughs> because in, oh, if you geez. watch them in Japanese, since all of the episode titles are English proverbs, they have the Japanese voice actors try reading them out in English. Oh, and Barnaby oh, does oh, all of his just fine, but whenever Hiroaki Hirata tries to read them as Kotetsu... He always either bumbles them or gets cut off before he can finish. Oh no. I didn't okay, know that. that makes a little more sense because that those all that that confused me as that confused me watching it in English, watching those previews as to why off on so many of them. That really explains a lot. <laughs> I because... never knew this because I always skip the previews because why honestly why bother? Oh, wow, this is this is news to me. Cause it's fun here watching Hiroaki Hirata going, the wolf knows that they'll be and then he gets cut off. <laughs> of course, of course, in the English dub, they just make it sound like uh, Kotetsu screwed up his line reads. Which I really appreciate and liked, actually. I, it's cute, but again, and this is not meant to be offensive, I always love it when Japanese voice actors try reading English. It's usually pretty endearing, at, at least in my opinion. True. Nothing will ever beat the greatness Again, of that one scene like from a, Crystal the, Triangle. Almost like the next episode. Oh, jeez. I was going to say, almost like the next episode previews where you have the, uh, where you have a, the, whoever was in Japanese reading off the next episode titles in English. So that's sort of the superficialities out of the way. Now we have to talk about the characters. And we let's start off with Tiger and Bunny. Who should we spotlight first and who wants to go first in terms of talking about our heroes? I was going to say, can we get... I want to get Kotetsu out of the way first. Yeah, I was mm -hmm. thinking that as well. And i like to go first, if anybody minds. Go right ahead. All right, so... By all means. Yep, Kotetsu, my... What was I saying? One of my favorite characters of this, because I found it actually kind of hard to believe that he's considered an older gentleman, because... He looks 28, and he sounds 28, which I actually like that about him. I also liked his sort of a underdog spirit, and sort of what his, I guess his whole entire, even his hero persona sort of represents being a underdog who's paid his dues and, and sort of earned his stripes, <laughs> so to speak. He's a family man, albeit he's a single father, and he has a daughter who lives out in way out of the city in the country while he has a place in the city kind of like the goodmans in detective pikachu and his power is hundred which increases one's abilities a hundred fold for five minutes and naturally this is anime time so five minutes means 
10 minutes. Exactly. I, um, I'm going to wrap up with the thing that stuck out to me about him. The fact that he's actually sort of a, actually he's a, he's a decent father at the end of the day. And I don't think anyone gives him a lot of credit for that. He's caring and spry, but also he's definitely a character that in universe is sort of taken for granted or the underdog. But as an audience member, he's both the audience character and also very good example of a active prime mover in the story. I will agree with your points on Kotetsu, and you bring up him being a single father, because it's very rare that you see these sort of single parents in anime. Well, that's not true. There's plenty of examples, but, you know, it's rare where we have a main character who is a single parent. And sadly, I feel Tiger and Bunny doesn't do enough to sort of explore Kotetsu's emotions as a single father. Because we later find out, and this really isn't a spoiler, that Kotetsu's wife is dead. She died from illness. Yep, I agree. His daughter is okay. N- not the best kid character I've yeah. seen in anime. As far as kids go, you could do worse. I actually kind of, I feel like Kaede, I feel like she almost took too long to sort of come into her own. It wasn't a, up until I think the well, last episode where she started to get her own identity, I think. I think the problem is also because the show doesn't really have us spend enough time with her like what are, what are things like from her perspective I, I would how agree does with she there. feel about things yeah so, like, like later on in the show she does get a little bit more focus and more relevancy to the plot but for the first half of tiger and bunny she just kind of pops up briefly and doesn't do much and i do have to agree that uh, kotetsu doesn't get explored like, he does get some development later. We do learn more about him when he returns back home. It's just another thing where it, we just don't learn enough about him. But I guess you could say that's, like, just being a bit nitpicky. Just a nitpicky thing. I think that's going to be a theme for when we start talking about the characters yeah. beyond Kotetsu. As a hero, though, Kotetsu's personality outside of being a hero isn't that much different from when he's in the suit. Because... Kotetsu is a man who always tries to do the right thing, but he ends up causing a lot more harm than good. We see this in the very first episode where he uses his hundred power to stop a runaway train only to make things a little worse for the whale. This is going to be a bit of a harsh comparison, but Kotetsu is kind of the Jameis Winston of the heroes. And, And who is this? James person? Uh, Jameis Winston is quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He has incredible arm strength, but he has terrible decision-making. For those who want numbers, touchdown-to-interception ratio last year, 30 touchdowns, 33 picks. Okay, that and, makes and I think that at least and I think at least half a dozen of those things were half a dozen of those interceptions were returned for touchdowns. Yes, he threw six pick sixes. Do you think that that's <laughs> kind of a fair comparison for Kotetsu to a real world example? Yeah, I can definitely understand that more. I did touch upon this once before with Nate. Like that's the thing that I had a hard time tolerating with Kotetsu is that he's a goody two shoes idiot who should know better, and much to the show's credit, though, he does get called out for on this, though. It is aware that he does do a little bit more harm than good, and that it's a bit too overbearing, which I, I do appreciate the show for doing that. Also, just to say one last thing about Kotetsu being a single parent in anime, he's no Masane Yamaha. I will defend that statement to my grave. <laughs> Here's something that producer uh, Masayuki Ozaki had to say about Kotetsu being a parent, 
The reason why Kotetsu didn't tell Kaede about him being Wild Tiger is, of course, he didn't want Kaede spreading rumors about him at her school or something. Which, given how little time we spend with Kaede, I don't think he needs to worry about that. Exactly. That was actually another thing I was so true for a while. Like, why the like at one point, like Kaede learns that her dad is Wild Tiger. I'm like, why the fuck does she not know about this? And it's later revealed that oh, it's it's because of Kotetsu. Of course. I will say I do like Kotetsu's story arc, though, as a character. He starts from being a hero who sort of realizes his best days are behind him, being saddled with a sprightly young upstart who he feels is trying to take his job, ultimately becoming a faithful partner to Barnaby, something we'll touch on when we talk about Barnaby, to ultimately realizing that he may be on his last legs, and that's something I really appreciate. He has the biggest arc of all of these characters. Indeed. Easily. Yep. Any other comments about Kotetsu, Tim? I mean, Kotetsu just, uh, again, uh, kind of echoing uh, what the others have said, it's more or less that he was that it, he was a little too much of a, of a good guy for his own well-being, but at the same time, it's also... So having seen uh, Link Horror's review of Action Comics number 775, What's Funny About Truth... Justice in the American recently, Way. Help me kind of contextualize... Yeah. Help me kind of contextualize, you know, more kind of what the heroism means to some of these characters. I think out of all of them, I mean, you could say that maybe Kotetsu's got the most pure intention. Yeah, I mean, that's, of course, up for debate. I feel mm-hmm. like he does. I feel that he's sort of the embodiment of what we all want to be in a hero. Somebody that always wants to stand up and do the right thing. It's just that Kotetsu's, I don't want to say his emotions... But it's a case of him not knowing his own strength or his own limitations. Yeah, that's true. Definitely that. No, he said that's probably what And it another thing, too, that... And I know that this is something that we'll touch upon more a little bit later, but I really would have liked to learn a little bit more about Kotetsu's backstory because we don't know a whole lot of him from his past. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do get, like, a flashback with him and Mr. Legend, and that's about it. Chris Farley... Uh, (laughs) every time i see mr legend i I, i'm sorry but i just look at mr legend and i think it's clear masakazu katsura took inspiration from chris farley it's very clear because he looks like chris farley oh that that saddens me now mostly because of what mr legend ends up becoming oh dear later we'll we'll get to that later well we'll get to that my final impressions on the Kotetsu are he's definitely the least morally compromised of all the heroes with, with only Fire Emblem and being a remote second. And that's why I end up liking that about him because he kind of reminds me of... What movie am I thinking of? I want to say it's Cars where you have an older... Doc Hudson. There we go. That's it. He's definitely the Doc Hudson of the cast in terms of being the the older guy who who is used to doing things the old way, but all, and is sort of struggling with the fact that his industry is starting to move in a different in a direction that he may not be willing or even able in the case of Katetsu to keep up with, and his struggles balancing that along with just trying to be a good person. It's really fascinating. I think we've said all we can say about Kotetsu unless anybody has any other comments. So that moves us on to Barnaby. Uh, who wants to tackle Barnaby first? Um, I, I could just say that he's Batman and leave it at that. Man. <laughs> he's pretty much Bruce Wayne. Yep. 
<laughs> well, in this case, he openly shows off his identity to the world. <laughs> and I guess, and I guess also. So the, oh, I was actually going to say, I'm surprised I never talked about that. I, I was, I was about to make the joke that he's. Uh, more like uh more like Iron Man, but uh, if it, if Iron Man was if Iron Man was Bruce Wayne, yeah, I was gonna say he's got uh, Tony Stark's personality Man, with Bruce Wayne's backstory, and also, basically, and also he's not nearly as dark and brooding as as Batman. Well, he's very much a playboy. Yeah, I mean, okay, okay to him, there's it, a connection there. Saving the world is just part of the job for him. He's not doing it for the fame of the fortune. Whereas Kotetsu, he wants to do it because he wants to do the right thing. With Barnaby, he just became a hero because it just came naturally to him. I was going to say, he's basically Bruce Wayne, but rock star. He hasn't concocted much of a secret identity, or he keeps his own backstory tightly under wraps. He markets himself as much as he does his hero persona. And like someone else just said, it's a job to him. He doesn't take things personally like like uh, Katetsu, or even Sky High, now that I think about it. Barnaby's personality is vastly different than Kotetsu's, of course, because Kotetsu, he's very much got that go get em, let's let me at him attitude, whereas Barnaby is a lot more calculating and he takes his time. If Kotetsu is Jameis Winston, then Barnaby is Tom Brady. Hmm, that's a pretty apt comparison. How appropriate. I don't know because I don't watch sports. And Sky High is Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> that would be implying that Sky High wouldn't uh, ever could win the Super Bowl for anything. Well, he is the king of heroes at the beginning of the first season, so there you go. <laughs> at the beginning. But let's continue with Barnaby. And I feel that this personality clash is evident in the first few episodes, and it really does help to showcase this unsteady bond that the two have between them. Kotetsu wanting to do things his way, while Barnaby wants to slow down and take a more calculating approach, assess the situation rather than jump head first. That's actually one of the things that I didn't like about uh, Kotetsu at first is that he's way too stubborn and bullheaded to listen to any sort of advice that would that would seem more logical. It's funny you mention that because I mentioned I've got some interview excerpts and I found an interview with the writer Masafumi Nishida and he said that the reason why he paired up Kotetsu and Barnaby is that he wanted to showcase a gap in generation. You know, the gap between the elderly, the more seasoned veterans versus the young upstarts. Mm. So basically, Kotetsu wants to leap headfirst into danger without assessing the situation and realizing what the best way out. Barnaby can just look at him and go, okay, boomer. <laughs> he certainly, no. certainly achieved that. Because that's basically their relationship. Oh, that is their relationship. And they, they made sure to hammer this way home in the first five episodes. It really is a lot like that, yeah. <laughs> the writer for this, Masafumi Nishida, was inspired by uh, Takusatsu shows when writing this. And he sort of wanted to showcase sort of like the gap between the heroes of the Showa era and the gap between the heroes of the Heisei era and apply that to Western-style superheroes. That was a bold move, and I think it paid off. I would agree, too. I feel that the sort of squabbles between Kotetsu and Barnaby, as much as they may grate on some, I think it's a necessary evil for these characters. If you could even call it, as it evil. I think in the end, because you eventually to get to the point where, you know, again, they have, uh, at the very least, a, a for one another for each of their methods, honestly. Yeah, they you can see that little bit of respect 
between the two of them. Yeah, they go from just hating. I wouldn't go as far as to say like hating each other, just n- not getting along to more like they they still bicker, but more like in the way that friends would bicker with each other. Rivals turned allies. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's it. Yeah. The anime classic <laughs> staple. Of course, uh, Barnaby, he has his own little tragic backstory. As I said, he's basically Bruce Wayne because he's in secret. He goes around brooding to himself saying, my parents are dead. (laughs) Not so in secret (laughs) later on. Although I will say the story of Barnaby trying to find his parents' killer, it takes some interesting twists later on in the show. It's both really entertaining and surprisingly suspenseful at times. I honestly did not see that twist coming. I didn't either. Even the second time through, it was really well handled. Of course, this gap is sort of meant to be a bridge between two separate generations, but the other reason why this thing exists? Fujoshi bait. Oh, oh no. I'm oh, boy. I'm going to put that bait off about Tiger and Bunny for as long as possible. Well, we have to talk about it because <laughs> oh, so many shippers want to think of them as a gay couple. Uh, Let me just say, as, as a as a connoisseur of all that is wonderful and awful about hentai, I have seen a fuck ton of yaoi involving Kotetsu and. Oh, yeah. yikes! I I know it's it's bad. It's bad. Yeah. Well. You've got the older daddy guy versus the younger millennial in Barnaby. The fuck, what are they called? The the uke and the same. Yeah, that's it. Oh, <laughs> it's been ages since I've heard those two words. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just long. I, I long for. Yeah. In uh, in Oran High School Host Club, where uh, where Harhi just asks uh, the Hitachins, uh, "What do you mean by pitcher and catcher?" And they just said, "If." You don't want to know. (laughs) I'm going to remember that terminology, though. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Hop and do the bottom. Oh, God. I don't want to dwell on this. Honestly, to me, Kotetsu and Barnaby are like drinking buddies, you know? You've got the one guy who's sitting there reminiscing about the good old days, and then one guy who's just talking about how great things are nowadays. It's two guys with two different philosophies, but I think it works, and I it's fun seeing their relationship grow. I feel that it's sort of the strongest part of the show. True. Oh, you know what you, you know what that comparison just made me think of? Um, Kotetsu is Dale Earnhardt, and Barnaby is Jeff Gordon. <laughs> I don't even watch you NASCAR, know what? That's a great and comparison. I got that reference. That is an absolutely great comparison. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think about it. I didn't even think about. Yeah, mate, just go watch the heck the if you want to go even uh, this. modern. It's wonderful. <laughs> you want to go even more modern? You could say that uh, Jeff, that in the modern era, in this uh, new time, uh, Kotetsu is Jeff Gordon and uh, Barnaby is uh, Kyle Book. That's a really good comparison. <laughs> hey, I hadn't thought about that. If I could do one for res- if I could do one for wrestling, oh, Kotetsu is Hiroshi Tanahashi and uh, Barnaby is Kazuchika Okada. That's that's a perfect one. My only knowledge on Japanese wrestling is is just anything involving Kanika Man, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Like I that, I've never even watched Kanika Man, and even I'm aware of that series' existence. Me too. I'm in the same boat as you, William. So I think that does it with uh, Tiger and Bunny. Let's go through the heroes and let's get through them fast as possible. Because, the, because clearly up, the show did as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. First up, we've got Keith Goodman, no Sky kidding. High, favorite like, design, like, like, Tim. Yeah, Sky High is just very much this, uh, I guess, this 
very much this bombastic character. I think maybe, I mean, I'm not going to say he's a, uh, you know, a little inspiration was taken from him. How, with how all might with how all might was per, was uh, written uh yeah, yeah, but at the same time yeah and you know patrick sate's just the perfect choice for him in english i should say because he just really kind of relishes it up that way one thing i love about uh sky high in his mannerisms his constant movement of his arms <laughs> just to showcase so how over the top his personality is his personality it's in his name keith goodman he's a goody two he's a good boy he is. No, he's a good man. No, he's a good boy, Nate. Get it right. <laughs> no, it, it's good man. <laughs> I know where you're getting at with this, but I'm still stick, sticking by with what I said. But any any thoughts on Sky High? Oh, uh, let's see. Ever, you guys pretty much hit the nail on the head, although I will add that, um, uh, you know what's weird? I kind of don't think he got enough focus in the show. Well, yeah. that's going to be the statement for every one of these heroes we go through. Well, except one. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Maybe two. That's what I found really dis- one of the most disappointing aspects of- on the show. And we do finally get an episode where we focus on Keith. We learn about his inner struggles, a little bit about his, not a whole lot, just a small bit about his life outside of hero work. But then... After that episode ends, we never get any callbacks to this episode. Like it- We kind of don't. There is a plot point that gets established in that episode. Uh, the episode where uh, Keith Goodman dates 2B. Except, quote-unquote. Yeah, he dates an android that looks exactly like 2B. Except not as bootylicious. <laughs> I was going to say, she ain't got bad ass. For, for Blue Rose. Oh, man. I was going to save that joke. Uh, one thing her. I will say about that episode, um, what I will say about that episode, um, I think Outlaw Star did better about a decade. Or... Basically what Tim said is that Outlaw Star did it better. Which I have mm-hmm. to agree on. So I think that's enough for about uh, Sky High. Next up, Karina Lyle, Blue Rose. I have so much to say about her. Let's go. Take it away. All right. Oh, so, first of all, I couldn't. I, I thought at first my biggest shock of the show was the fact that she was actually 16 because she does not look like a 16 year old. She looks 25. If a girl says she's 16 and she looks 16, she's really 12. Here's it's- the thing, though. She actually, as Karina, she actually, I can actually buy her as a teenager. Like, I get it must be all that heavy makeup she has on his blue rose but i was like I was like what are you doing animators can't you just it's fine if she's actually 25 there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> but um it's that coral blue lip gloss number two in the hair, that in the hair. <laughs> anyway so i actually i kind of went into the show expecting to not like her because of her design and outfit i was pleasantly surprised about her she's actually quite mature and relatable and yeah definitely underutilized i wish i could know more i want to know more about how she got into hero work instead of just getting out ahead of the idol trend by a few years and going into singing there there's a throwaway line in there where they said that she had to become a superhero as part of her idol career. But they don't really go into yeah, that. Yeah, that needed some explanation because, taken on the surface, it's a bit ridiculous, in my opinion. She does have the best superhero outfit, though, of the bunch. Best, it's definitely quote, unquote, striking. because... 
Oh, what? You don't like those little thorns coming out of that booty? Nor do you well, even want. Nor, do, nor does looking at her make you want to drink some Pepsi. <laughs> I don't like Pepsi, man. Dr. Pepper all the way. She does look like Pepsi incarnate. I'll give her that. I'm a pro. I didn't expect her to have a have a booty that looks like a Porsche 911. That was funny. Hey, we even get to see it a lot thanks to her cutie escape, which she doesn't use that often. <laughs> Calling her Porsche 911 booty from here on out. <laughs> oh, that's a new one. Yeah, she <laughs> she does. She gets called on it like someone kind of just says, uh, gives her a, a backhand uh, statement on it. I think. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's her character is kind of there for fan service and sex appeal. Again, Even like a lot of the heroes it. on this list, at least she's comfortable with it. Ish. I can at least give her that. And she, of course, has a catchphrase: "My ice is a little cold, but your prime, but your crime has been completely put on hold." Which always gets cut off. It's one of the funniest bits in the whole show. Any further thoughts on a uh, Blue Rose, Karina Lyle? She's into single dads. Oh, oh God! Older, yeah. Really, he, he oh, really likes older men. Holy shit. Yeah, the, it seemed like there was going to be a love triangle with Kotetsu and Barnaby, but they don't really go into that. Thank God. It really doesn't. Yeah. I think maybe that's to the show. And I think really that's to the show's benefits. Uh-huh. And I, I think that also helps is that is that any kind of admiration is uh, at least admiration of that nature is at least. At, it's like French. Com- uh, it doesn't look. It's camaraderie amongst co-workers. I'll say the only time I've ever seen a 16 year old girl relationship with a older man that was done tastefully and done well was Godanner. What about uh, that? What oh about boy. that one anime called After the Rain? I have never seen that. Me neither. I actually go check that show out. I've heard it's really good. Up next, oh, this one's a doozy. Who wants to talk about Fire you Emblem? You mean me? Because I. Oh boy. I have so much to say about Fire Emblem. I actually. I actually love this dude. I don't know why. But I, do I love too. this dude. Um, <laughs> mostly, uh, granted, mostly it's for personal reasons. Being that if I ever get to do voice acting in a superhero anime, I want to be Fire Emblem. Hats off to John Eric Bentley on bringing this guy to life. Oh, he stole the show in that, in that as Fire Emblem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fire Emblem is a a character like if someone asked me what character i love to do in an anime i would do fire emblem i like his character design although even if it started to jank with the frame rate later on yeah as i said his cgi outfit is the worst of the bunch yeah is agreed 100 percent. even out of costume he started to sort of f with the frame rate which was took me a little while to get used to but it's like we don't. I feel like I don't. Ha, I don't get a ton about Fire Emblem as a person to work. In, which, in this case, as much as I tend to like Fire Emblem, I'm willing to give the writers a pass because I sort of know a lot about. You sort of find out a lot about Fire Emblem behind the mask to the point where it's not like Kotetsu or Barnaby, where you need to go way, way, way back to get him. Fire Emblem being sort of the less corporate, quote unquote, hero out there. It's sort of a glossed over contrast, I think, to everyone else, because Fire Emblem is all about, he's sort of all about doing what you want, but within certain confines, which I think is a good metaphor for the character writ large. You know, it's funny, because Nishida, in the interview that I read, 
he said that he wanted Fire Emblem to sort of be one of the more level-headed members of the crew. Somebody who can bring levity in dark times. He's not there for comic relief. Because in a lot of the scenes that he's in, as flamboyant as he may be, and he is a Japanese uh, gay stereotype, he comes off very much as being one of the most mature members of the group. He does. And he that's, does. And that's actually one of the things I like about Fire Emblem is that, to me, he seems like a an older sibling-like figure. Like you said, Nate, he's very level-headed and mature, and I and I really like how like outside of hero work he acts like the the older sibling to some of the other characters, like the younger characters, like Karina, for example. I, I agree with that, and you know the, the little homosexual bits with him that are played up for comedy. I didn't mind them. Yeah. I honestly thought they were funny. I barely noticed them half the time. What I had written down here is if you had no problem with pre-pre-prisoner or Leron or Hana from Tokyo Godfathers, you won't have a problem with Fire Emblem. Mm Mm-hmm. Plus, he also has one of the best lines. Yeah, fair point to that. I, I think it might have been a little too much for my taste, but that's just me personally. I still, he was a, he was a fine character for the group. Like I was about to say, he also has what I think is one of the best lines ever. Someone's going to get bitch slapped for this. <laughs> <laughs> best line in the whole show. You know, I was, I was so busy. Oh, I was so busy focusing on the screen. I I didn't even hear that one. Oh, somebody needs to make a, that a forum weapon. <laughs> oh, praise to John Eric Bentley. Yeah. You know, one last thing I want to note about uh, Fire Emblem being gay. Uh, Ozaki in at the Otakon panel I mentioned earlier, one of the first companies that contacted them that was interesting in sponsoring Fire Emblem, they did not know that he was gay. And once the producer told that company, oh yeah, by the way, Fire Emblem, he's gay, that sponsor pulled out. Of course. Oh, Japan. They, they, said, they said, sorry, we cannot sponsor him because he's gay. Well done, Japan. Well done. On that note... Let's move on to the next hero, Ivan Karalin, a.k.a. Origami Cyclone. I know in the first episode, I made fun of Andrew for comparing Dr. Stone to being like the Joey Ryan's Orange Cassidy of Shonen, because that's a horrible, horrible comparison. But in this case, Origami Cyclone is sort of the Orange Cassidy of the heroes. I sort of call him Catholic one-hit wonder dude. Because of his, um, well, first his voice actor, and second, honestly, how little he ended up contributing to the group as a whole, in my opinion. I actually like him because he's one of the few characters that has, he's one of the supporting characters, I should say, that actually has a semblance of a story. Yeah, he's relatable, but, um, he's, oh, if this were a stand fight with personalities, he would have gone out in the first round. His ability as a next is photobombing people. (laughs) Yeah. But I do like Ivan Karolin because we have a character who has a semblance of a backstory. And he has something that he has to overcome. In this case, his shyness, his lack of self-confidence. And the two episodes that are sort of devoted to him do a good job of showcasing his strengths as a character. But again, after that, we don't really hear yeah, much from him. I get, yeah, yeah. Again, it, it's a it's a recurring theme with this series. With this series, but again, yeah, I you know little uh, his two uh, episodes centered on him probably better than 
most of the episodes, if not all of the episode characters, mainly because I really liked the story that it told uh, about uh, his time at the Academy that they went to. Yeah. And for those of you who are curious, since we didn't mention, you know, this is the first sort of major take on Western superheroes. This predated My Hero Academia, the manga, by three years. Yep. Absolutely. I'll get to my thoughts on that when we uh, talk about uh, other things. Uh, next up, we have Antonio Lopez, a.k.a. Rock Bison, Ooh. the guy whose powers are to just stand there and be super sturdy. Wait. And that's Wait, it. Putting it lightly. Wait, what character? Yeah, I think that's enough about Rock Bison. Like, we see that he's good friends with Kotetsu, <laughs> but, that, but they don't really explore their friendship. Again, but it is implied. Really a, mm -hmm. Again, it's just like with every other character, as if they, like, they don't get explored nearly as much as they should. Like, we get the idea that he and Kotetsu are close friends, but they the show just, just does nothing with it. I was gonna say he probably gets it the worst because I don't think he even got an entire episode uh, dedicated to him. No, he doesn't. Apparently, he gets some time in the movies, but I haven't seen them. And we will do a follow up on this. And finally, we have Paolin Huang, aka Dragon Kid. I was saying, and that's enough about Dragon yeah, I Kid. I was saying, did you have trouble with that name too? Because <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah, like she only gets one episode devoted to her, and that's it. All I can say is she's voiced by Laura Bailey. Sounds like Toru. She's very much the definition of just sort of there. Yeah. Like, she contributes nothing to the team because with Fire Emblem, he's there to sort of be the big brother to the heroes. Sky High has that get-up-and-go attitude. Blue Rose is there for sex appeal. Even Rock Bison, as little time is spent with him, we can see that he's meant to be good friends with Kotetsu. Like, what does Paolin Huang bring to this? Well, she does Not. have a she does have like one episode dedicated to her, and while it was a decent episode, she's sort of the primary focus of that one, but not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the issue. I, I mean, I, I like her hero her hero persona just because I kind of like the uh, the design as well as uh, her abilities with lightning. Very much Sun Other Goku, that, uh, really Journey to the kind West. Of yeah, very much so. But she's very much nothing uh, outside of that. Pretty much is. She has so little screen presence, she may as well be a member of Coco's entourage in Jormungand. Well put, well put. Yep. There's one last hero we have to talk about, although I don't know if you could call him a hero or not. And that is Lunatic. The hero of another oh, show. Oh, yeah. You're a friggin' lunatic. When I first saw his design, I thought, this guy looks like a Shin Megami Tensei character. <laughs> like, like, he really does. He belongs in the Persona series. He even name drops Thanatos a few times. Yeah, he's clearly from, like, Persona or Shin Megami Tensei. He looks like uh, something that Masakazu Katsura designed for Zetman or Wingman, but was forced to use it in this series. Which is probably what happened. Also, as William mentioned in our conversation, he has a really shitty job of hiding his secret identity. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. his secret identity is a city official by the name of Yuri Petrov, who wears a tie that is the exact color and pattern as Lunatic. Indeed. And barely changes his voice either. Like, straight up doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't help, too, that said voice is from Liam O'Brien. Yeah. And as much as I absolutely love Liam O'Brien, if you're going to try and be subtle with the character on, like, if he's, like, a villain or not, 
I don't think it's the best idea to pick Liam to voice them. Exactly. Yep. Liam still did a good job for what it's worth. But yeah, that's basically it. I do like the little arcs surrounding the mystery of Lunatic. Can we get a Lunatic spinoff already? Actually, yeah, he's I, definitely the hero of another show. I would love to see a spinoff of Yuri Petrov and the dull life he lives being a city official, but then he puts on his superhero costume and thinks he's the best thing ever at night. <laughs> that actually would be a good show. I'd watch it. <laughs> Lunatic City Bureaucrat Blues. You know, you know what? I would have liked that more. That'd be a pretty good spinoff, I think. I would have liked that a little bit more than what we got in the show, because what we got was surprisingly really dark and fucked up. Oh, <laughs> uh, well I don't want to spoil that, but Lunatic, the reason he acts the way he does, he kind of has a tragic backstory, and his makes Barnaby's backstory look like a picnic on Lake Valhalla. Honestly, in my opinion, it feels a little yeah, bit out of place. Very much so. <laughs> it feels a little bit out of place in, in the show, because... Again, he's the hero of his own story. He does. Which, I mean, which granted, though, is a really interesting way to look at him, but that's the problem that I have with Yuri as a character, is that he just seems like, in retrospect, he just seems like a footnote within the world of Tiger and Bunny, because... Okay, uh, this is Yuri. He's also lunatic. That's it. Look at me, vigilante superhero, and they ask me to be a bureaucrat in Stonebuild City. Do you feel satisfied? Because I don't. That's a dang good hacker for what it's worth. My favorite part, though, as lunatic is his moral code, actually. That's why... He has a reason for what he does. Yeah, when you combine his backstory with the way Lunatic um, is the way he is, and it's a very exciting product. Whenever he's on screen, he rocks it, though. He really does. I, I do have to give him credit for that. Mostly because, again, it's Liam O'Brien voicing him, and Liam is just an absolute god in everything he does. Mm -hmm. Plus, he's also got that kick-ass crossbow. He does. Mm -hmm. yep. Kick-ass crossbow. There are also a few other supporting characters that I, I just want to touch on. I mentioned Albert Maverick earlier, who's sort of Barnaby's agent, voiced by the almighty Jameson Price. I was trying to place like who he looks like in terms of celebrities. He looks like a combination between Martin Landau and Leslie Nielsen. I was getting a little bit of... Philip Seymour there Hoffman. There we go, a little bit of him in there as well. Yeah, I also saw a little bit of David Byrne from uh, The Talking Heads. Yeah, a whole lot of David Byrne, especially after the reveal. There's also Dr. Saito, the scientist behind Barnaby and Kotetsu's suits, who has to speak in whispers, which I'm honestly amazed they dubbed it. <laughs> like, they could have easily just left that in Japanese, because it's barely audible with the mixing. And I want to think it was intentional. It, Saito but, reminds me of Gordon from uh, from Black Clover. And I don't know if you've seen Black Clover, but Gordon always talks in whispers, like really light whis whispers. And, and that's what Saito reminds me of. I expected Saito to lean into Kotetsu's <laughs> ear and go, penis, 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 penis. <laughs> <laughs> he, just, he just leans into Kotetsu. He's like, Kotetsu. This is the new shit. I did not catch that, but I like, but I'm going to laugh anyway. Ha 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 ha. 
Um, interestingly, you know, we talk about voice actors who don't do anime anymore. He's voiced by Dave Wittenberg. Yep. It's it's funny because Dr. Saito, you can't hear him when he speaks normally, but when he uses a microphone, it amplifies his voice all the way up. Big time. Mm-hmm. This is why you should never, ever smoke, kids. It'll destroy your vocal cords, and you'll end up talking like Dr. Saito. Indeed. Or you're gonna sound... Or it'll sound okay. like my car transmission. Is that what actually uh, happened mm. to Dave Lindbergh? Uh, no, he just retired. Oh. We also we also mentioned uh, Ben Jackson, who's uh, Kotetsu's old agent that becomes a taxi driver. I honestly like Ben Jackson. He's there to sort of give Kotetsu sage advice, sort of like a mentor figure. And he does end up in a very nice position by the end of the show, so we're going to be seeing more of him. I just want to see more of him because I, I want to hear more Bo Billings. Lee. Indeed. I miss Absolutely. Bo. And I miss last but not least, we have the producer lady, Agnes Jobert. I have so much. I have a lot to say about her as well. She's obviously the producer lady that wants to get into Kotetsu and Barnaby's pants. Or, which or you, kill them trying. Which, you know what? It's rather fitting for her with Barnaby because they're because she's voiced by uh, Yuri Lowenthal, uh, Lowenthal's wife. Tara Platt. That's what made that That's really true. funny. Yeah, That was funny for yeah. that reason. But um, to... Uh, Yuri, your read was off on that one. Do it again. Yes, Tara. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well... She's definitely, I feel like she's meant to be the embodiment of sort of what people stereotype reality TV has. Very. The sleazy producer, but it's a chick. Yeah. Sort of sleazy, morally compromised. You don't know where they're, you don't know where they're going or you think they're going to turn on I, anybody at any moment for any I reason. I kind of, I kind of like that the producer for Hero TV is female because if it was male, it would just come off as not as poignant. But the fact that we've got a chick who's more concerned about ratings than heroes doing the right thing, I think that adds a nice little wrinkle to the typical sleazy producer role. Yeah, it actually... I can agree with that. It gets your attention it's, better. I always enjoy it when you have a character who's sleazy but is sort of the opposite gender. Because it provides a different dynamic. Because I remember going to a panel about female characters in anime, and one of the questions poised is, does this character change if you alter their gender? And I think that if Agnes was male instead of female, she wouldn't be as interesting. In fact, she'd just be grating, to be honest. Exactly. Yeah, I think so as well. I, I, I can completely understand that, yeah. Also, because I have to, I want to get this joke out of the way, and this will be the last time I joke about this show... I mentioned earlier how she wants to get in Kotetsu and Barnaby's pants, given her nature. If she was any thirstier, she'd be a character in Kakeguru. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that's saving her from that is that she's not making those twisted, fucked up faces for no reason. She also is not a psychotic lesbian bitch. Which makes her which makes her a huge step up from the cast of that show. Well, she she is kind of a bitch, but it's again, it's good intentioned. She wants the best from the heroes, so she kind of has to be a bitch. Oh, you mean like, you mean like the old stereotype about Gordon Ramsay? <laughs> Gordon Ramsay, but female and a TV producer. <laughs> oh, Don't wow. give me any ideas, Justin. <laughs> 
I've been watching a lot of Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> I think that's going to do it for the characters, which we spent a lot of time on. So this is sort of, we get to the crux of why I held this episode in the first place. Because when I went back to watch Tiger and Bunny for the first time, I had only one question in mind, because this is my second time going through it. And that is, this show was set to be the next big thing here in the West. Why did the hype for it die down? And I started watching it, and it, I definitely enjoyed it, but by the time the show ended, I finally understood why the hype for it died out. And I have my own theories as to why, but why do you think the hype for the show died down? I have a couple reasons. One, it was too ahead of its time. Meaning, in only a couple years, what, one year, two years? Yeah, one to two years after the show came out, Marvel Universe exploded in popularity. Superheroes became not just mainstream, but everything. Well, this was a year before Avengers, man. One year, okay. So, I think it came out too far ahead. If it had come out in 2012, it would be an instant classic, just like My Hero Academia. But it was too far ahead of its time, and simply the market wasn't there yet. That, and I think the people who ended up making it sort of keeping it alive sort of ended up not I'm not gonna say wrecking it but holding it back more I'll, I'll explain I want to get to the very end of the show Tim why do you think this show didn't really take off in the West well I'll, I'll piggyback off of what he said just a moment ago um, he said too far ahead of the t- too far ahead of its time I think that it one big thing I think that was the big hurdle for it for not taking off the way that it did. I it just didn't get on television. Now to, the tsunami block was coming back. I th- I want to say kind of came back in yeah, came back around the similar time. And even uh, though um, I'm pretty sure that this was at or near the top of the wants for uh, uh, what they wanted to do with it, Jason DeMarco has gone on record to saying that when they brought back the block, they didn't exactly have a huge budget. I think that's why you had shows like Dead Man Wonderland and uh, and Kishore you know, big yeah, welcome back. I... I mean, not to say that those shows are bad for any fans. Um, by the time they got the money uh, that they wound up getting, that they probably could have gotten, you know, you had stuff like Sword Art Online and uh, Attack on Titan that were starting to just absolutely, you know, big hits in Japan, but big hits over here in the West as well. I do feel that it not getting on the tsunami block might have hurt its popularity, But I also looked at what else was coming out around the same time. And in 2011, I feel that Tiger and Bunny, at least in the West, was sort of overshadowed by several other shows that came out at around the same time. And I feel this is sort of my theory. And William, I'll let you speak your two cents. I just wanted to go because I know you were going to repeat what I was going to say. Yeah, because I'm a pathetic bitch like that. Um... But it, it's sort of, you look at what came out that same year. Madoka Magica, yeah. Steins Gate, Dead Man Wonderland, even Blue Exorcist. I saw a lot more representation of that at conventions than Tiger and Bunny. And you also had in Guilty Crown. Ugh. And the next year, that would be the time it would have eligible to be on Toonami. You had Psychopass, High School DxD, Magi, Motherfucking JoJo, and sword art online yeah that's what i've been thinking like the whole time like we were talking and when i was watching the show like 
not only why didn't the show become as good as it is with all the certain circumstances surrounding it, but why didn't it get any resurgence years later? I think, again, it had to do with timing, because the early years of the 2010s, that's sort of when you had these decade-defining animes. I mentioned Madoka Magica. I mentioned Steins Gate. I mentioned Jojo. Yeah. The the next year, 2013, we had Attack on Titan and Kill la Kill. But, but even then, like, we also, well, we still do, like, we have, like, the superhero craze from Marvel and DC uh, still going on. We also have My Hero Academia, which is still as con- consistently popular when it debuted so just possibly like shouldn't like tiger and bunny like gain a little bit more traction from like because of all this i think my theory as to why tiger and bunny didn't take off and we sort of touched on this when talking about the characters i feel that it didn't really do enough to stick out in a crowd yeah True. I agree with that as well, and and I think maybe the the, the fact that it purposefully held so much of the uh, it held so much impossible exploration of the world back. I think maybe that's part of the reason why. I was gonna say the problem I have with Tiger and Bunny because it's a good show, and we're, we're, any criticisms we have against it don't change our opinions. It's a good show, and I do think it's worth a watch. But I also feel that there's not really that much exploration. We already talked about how the side characters just sort of come and go as they please, with all the focus being on Kotetsu and Barnaby. But they don't really do much to explore the superhero pathos. Like, the the secret identity thing, the cost of being a hero, the toll it takes on one. Mm-hmm. We, it's You know, William, I know you mentioned My Hero Academia. Even though that show has its share of problems, some similar to Tiger and Bunny... I think My Hero Academia is a much better show than Tiger and Bunny because it explores the superhero idea, the concept, the pathos, mythos, ethos, etc. Yeah, and another thing, too, that My Hero Academia does that Tiger and Bunny doesn't do enough is that it show it focuses more on uh, societies of view on superheroes like you see different viewpoints like you see like like the normal people's view on superheroes you also see the villains as well more importantly like you Mm -hmm. have like a very cynical almost neutral look at superhero society in my hero academia whereas tiger and bunny is just not there enough i feel the human factor also is sort of missing there too because the show makes a point that nexts are fairly new in society but we don't really explore that angle much until like the final episodes of the show we don't even get an idea of of like the history of nexts like we just know that like like nexts like came into existence like at least 40 years ago and that's about it the only real backstory we get to next are just the brief bits with uh, Mr. Legend Chris Farley. Oh, boy. Can we just get that out of the way? Oh, oh, God. And I feel also that lack of a supporting cast is also what hurts it. Because I didn't really see too many cosplays of the uh, supporting characters. I, I saw a few Blue Roses, one Origami Cyclone, but for the most part, a lot of the cosplay was just Kotetsu and Barnaby, either in or out of their costumes. Mostly out of costumes, I, in I my mean, experience. 
I mean, there's a reason why when you go see when say if you go to a convention, you, like if you see MHA cosplayers, you're seeing like um, Froppies or Minas or uh, or even a lot of Ochakos, a lot of Bakugos, a lot of uh, Kirishimas. You're not getting it with um, with Tiger and Bunny. It's basically a two man show when it comes to you know costuming, unless of course you want to get elaborate with it. You can probably say the same thing about My Hero Academia because it sort of focuses on three characters while the supporting cast kind of gets the shaft but with my hero at least the supporting characters have screen presence and you sort of know who they are even if their screen time isn't that much you have a better feel for those characters especially when it comes to a lot of them even if they really explored by this point yet and and mm-hmm. i think that at the same time we're also kind of led to accept that because that's kind of part and parcel of uh in general that just some characters aren't going to get you know explored uh too deeply i guess again at least the side characters in my hero have screen presence but as we touched on when talking about the characters they get an episode or two devoted to them and that's it that's the problem i have they just sort of come and go they get one episode or two devoted to them and that's kind of it a lot of comers and goers in this cast which i think i can see have really ended up hurting the show in the long run and um Mm -hmm. yeah i think if we had if we at least had enough time for an episode per supporting character, kind of, I think that it would have helped the show out more on average. I will say this, though. The final few episodes are really, really They good. are. They are. Jinx. I agree oh 100%. Yes. It has a phenomenal finale. It has a really good finale, a good final fight. Uh, we get that really amazing twist that we I don't think any of us saw coming and it just keeps going and going with that and it's so entertaining and enthralling and the thing is is that it wasn't properly foreshadowed but it's still effective it's so subtle that you don't see it coming and that's what I like about it it does of course leave a few threads unresolved because we haven't even talked about the villains in the show that's sort of how memorable they are other than other than Jake Martinez and his merry band of misfits and the two at the end, there's not really that much in the way of villains that made me say, uh-oh, these guys are going to be trouble. Again, a lot of the villains are just one-offs. There's only two, well, there's actually three without, there's three, but that's a spoiler. But the only two villain, you know, named villains that really stuck with me were Jake and Cream because of, well, in this case, in this case, they ended up, doing a good job of fleshing out cream's backstory and i guess jake as well jake jake ended up being a really fascinating dude even when uh he was having that fight with barn with a uh, barnaby and katetsu great performances on both sides of the coin too steve bloom really hammed it up as a uh, steve bloom though <laughs> steve bloom though i'm still exactly <laughs> i'm still personally convinced that jay uh, jake was based off of the joker i'm pretty sure he was although looking at his design I'm pretty sure Takashi took one look at him and thought, yeah, I'll take that look. <laughs> the Joker, but not as... I was going to say, I was going to say one of the things I was uh, thinking of uh, at uh, Jake and Cream, it's basically, uh, it's basically Joker and Harley, but without the, uh, but without the... The bullshit. The abusive relationship that those two have. Yeah, their relation is more Gomez and Morticia Adams than Joker and Harley Quinn. Ooh, I never thought about that before. That's actually a really clever way to put it it's what the it's what the many idiots uh think uh joker and harley's relationship is like but i think that's really all that needs to be said 
Of course, we mentioned it wasn't a hit here in America, or it didn't hit as big as they'd hoped, but we can't say the same for its status in Japan, because Japan loved Tiger and Bunny. It was a super huge seller, tons and tons and tons of merchandise, multiple stage plays. It had a manga that lasted for like 12 volumes, which is unheard of for a manga adaptation of an anime. Yeah, the only manga I've heard that came close to that was the Evangelion one. It had uh, two movies, and we'll probably review those in a follow-up episode. And it had a spin-off, Double Decker. And, and in 2022, it's going to get a sequel series, which is... Honestly, I didn't intend for the timing this to be coincidental. As soon as I said, okay, I'm gonna do Tiger and Bunny for my next episode, they announced it's getting another season. Talk about good timing. Wow. I'll put that in. I'll try to put that in the uh, Twitter post I'll make about this. You know, I mentioned Double Decker as it being a spinoff, and I'm going to be honest, I liked Double Decker a lot more. True. Double Decker, they, I think Double Decker, in my opinion, ended up fixing a lot of things that I found went wrong, quote-unquote, in Tiger and Bunny. Well, the other thing is that Double Decker isn't trying to be anything more than what it is, which is a buddy cop show. It does that so, so well, but that's for another day. Yeah, and it also has that awesome narrator. <laughs> and if I remember right, in the English dub of Double Decker, is voiced by the supremely underrated Chris Guerrero. Mm-hmm. He is? I, yeah, I believe so. Which, by the way, Chris um, Guerrero needs more roles. That guy is amazing. I think that's ultimately my biggest complaint about Tiger and Bunny it's not that the show doesn't know what it wants to be, but it doesn't know what it wants to do. Yeah. There's a lot of things in the show that sort of feel like an afterthought. For my third episode, I reviewed Kashan, and I talked about how a lot of Tatsunoko cartoons from that time period, the 70s, are basically Saturday morning cartoons with some cojones. Tiger and Bunny very much feels like a Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, but I don't really think that's a bad thing at least in my well it's good and bad because it has that sort of familiar feeling you can immediately recognize what it's doing the problem is that us here in the west sort of expect a lot more from it and i was expecting more from tiger and bunny like what it did it did actually pretty well but it didn't do extraordinarily well i think it's a, it's a good way to describe it yeah, I feel that's ultimately my biggest complaint with Tiger and Bunny. It didn't do enough. It didn't really do enough to be a great show. It's a good show and plenty enjoyable, but you can do a lot better. Plus, it's really the first Japanese take on Western-style superheroes. The only other shows I can think of with that distinction are Hero Man, My Hero Academia, and the manga series by Nozomu Tamaki... Don't meddle with my daughter, which I am ashamed to admit reading. Oh, oh my God, I forgot about that series. You get exactly what you'd expect from the author of Dance in the Vampire Bund. Oh. The only difference is is that it doesn't have a vampire lolly. But it does have a milf. And, and, And that shit is so much better. Yeah. But with season two on the way, I just hope they improve upon my complaints. Explore the superhero mythos more, flesh out the supporting characters, and at least give us more than what we got in season one. The worst thing it could do is become complacent. 
But I think that's going to wrap it up. We will talk about Season 2 when it comes out, as well as the movies, but that's another episode. And of course, we will spotlight Double Decker. But I think that's going to do it for this episode. Next time on the Otaku Nate Show, we're going to get on our bikes and take a road trip across a neo-warring states era for Japan as we take a look at the punk rock rainbow-fused craziness that is the Rolling Girls. So until then, this is Otaku Nate. I'm Justin Young. I'm William, and I'm tired and hungry. And I'm Tim, a.k.a. the Otaku Jock. And we're signing off and saying, Tiger and Bunny, over and out.